Section 17 of the English Restoration and Louis the Fourteenth by Osmond Airy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13 The Fall of Clarendon. While Louis the Fourteenth, absolute ruler of a great kingdom, was thus giving the law to Europe, charles the second of england was every day realizing more clearly how narrow were the limits of his own freedom his parliament had been showing itself imbued with precisely the same views as the long parliament of his father except that whereas that had been puritan this was anglican its enemies were the same popery military force and an uncontrolled use of the purse by the crown upon all three points the action of Charles had excited bitter suspicion and discontent. It was through that suspicion and discontent, aided by many collateral causes, and most of all by the base desertion of the king, a desertion less notorious than his father's desertion of Stratford, only because the circumstances were less tragic and the personages less grandiose, that Clarendon was now struck down. The leading causes of his fall are easily discernible, though from the many purely personal questions which were involved, it is impossible to give to each its just value. In 1662, he had risked the king's favor by opposing the Declaration of Indulgence. In 1663, his personal enemy, the Catholic Earl of Bristol, made an ill advised attempt to secure his impeachment for high treason but the charges were utterly frivolous. Charles gave no countenance to the proceeding. Bristol, as the king prophesied, only burnt his wings, and Clarendon remained the stronger for the attack. He was, however, surrounded by enemies. Lady Castlemaine, the most vulgar and abandoned of the women who governed Charles, hated him with the hatred of disappointed vanity and avarice not only had clarendon steadfastly declined to court her favour he would not even permit his wife to visit her but he had frequently refused to pass grants for her from the king it was at her house that those nightly meetings were held at which a knot of young political adventurers to whose rise the all-absorbing power of the chancellor was an obstacle met to plan his overthrow ashley lauderdale william coventry and henry bennett better known as the earl of arlington whom clarendon had himself introduced to public life and who was now secretary of state in the place of nicholas had each his reasons for wishing his fall the disappointed cavaliers owed him a deep grudge for the indemnity bill in the bill of sales the catholics saw in him the representative of anglicanism the presbyterians and other dissenting sects laid their persecution at his door he was disliked by the courtiers for the reproach which the decency of his private life cast upon their excesses his daughter's marriage with the presumptive heir to the throne roused the jealousy of the nobility while the arrogance of his demeanour and his display of wealth alienated the citizens of london it was not least to his disadvantage that the gravity of his deportment lent itself to buckingham's ready wit and mimicry the bishops alone were his steadfast friends it was not until sixteen sixty six that grave political events placed him in direct antagonism to the parliament 
the incessant drain of money for the expenses at once of the dutch war and of the king's pleasures was gradually exasperating the commons they had with enthusiasm voted an enormous supply in sixteen sixty four and had followed this in sixteen sixty five with another of half the amount even then charles had been compelled to accept a proviso suggested by suspicion of waste that the money should be applied strictly to the war as in the parliament of charles i the doctrine had been established that taxation could not be raised without the consent of parliament so now was established the equally important doctrine that neither could it be spent without that consent clarendon's view of the constitution despite the lessons of the last twenty years was precisely the same as it had been when he served charles i the king was to work in combination with his parliament but he was not to allow the house of commons to force its will upon the house of lords still less was he to allow both houses combined to compel him to give the royal assent to bills of which his conscience disapproved he now incurred the displeasure of both the king and the commons by vehemently inveighing against this proviso as derogatory to the crown when however in september sixteen sixty six charles demanded yet another supply the country gentlemen upon whom the weight of taxation chiefly rested and who were scandalized at the excesses of the court in which they did not participate determined while offering a sum of one million eight hundred thousand pounds to frame further safeguards avoiding a direct attack upon the king they declared their belief that he had been cheated by the officials and demanded a public inspection of accounts they appointed a committee to examine all persons who could give information on the subject and they introduced a bill to nominate parliamentary commissioners to investigate expenditure and punish defaulters charles anxious only for the money did not oppose the action of the commons clarendon however again stood between them and their desires he declared that they had exceeded their proper functions and that this was a new encroachment as had no bottom an unconstitutional expansion of their privileges and that the scars were yet too fresh and green of those wounds which had been inflicted upon the kingdom from such usurpations he openly expressed his determination to oppose the bill to the utmost of his power when it came before the lords and he urged charles to refuse his sanction even if the lords permitted it to pass the further progress of the measure was stayed by a prorogation and before the next session clarendon had fallen the bill of the commons was then passed commissioners were appointed who were members of neither house and by their investigation shameful disorganization and peculation on a gigantic scale were brought to light but clarendon had taken a step which brought him still more directly into conflict with parliament he saw that the government and the commons were in constant antagonism he therefore pressed the king to have recourse to a dissolution the constitutional method of getting rid of such a difficulty his advice was not followed for charles felt that the present house contained a far greater number of his personal adherents and of the court officials than were ever likely to find seats again and the bishops represented the danger of the possible election of many presbyterians 
the mere proposal however further increased the excitement against clarendon greater still was the jealousy caused in all classes by another suggestion perhaps the only one for which clarendon can be justly blamed how far charles was at the time endeavouring to realise his long-cherished desire of creating a standing army is doubtful it is however certain that on the pretence of guarding the coasts after the chatham disaster troops were now raised without any reference to parliament they were collected and equipped by some of the great nobility at their own cost but their maintenance had to be provided for and the exchequer was empty though parliament stood prorogued charles determined to summon it at once this resolve was opposed by clarendon on the formal ground that it was unconstitutional to summon a prorogued parliament before the day named for its meeting and to get over the difficulty he suggested that without waiting for parliamentary sanction royal letters should be sent to the lord lieutenants and deputy lieutenants of the counties in which the troops were raised authorizing them to call in provisions while the other counties should pay a proportionate subscription that he honestly believed this to be within the lines of the constitution is clear and nothing could more strongly prove how ignorant he was of the effect upon the english mind of cromwell's government by standing armies the effect was immediate at the meeting of parliament in july sixteen sixty seven the commons unanimously voted an address praying the king to disband the newly raised troops his reply was to rally them on their suspicion that he should dream of wishing for a standing army and once more for reasons which are very obscure to prorogue them this prorogation too was laid to clarendon's advice it became certain that whenever parliament should reassemble clarendon would be impeached among the bishops alone could he look for support charles himself while treating him with personal kindness displayed the cool ingratitude of his race to the man to whom he largely owed his peaceful and triumphant restoration he had indeed many causes of irritation against clarendon the chancellor had opposed his wish for toleration had not spared the most outspoken remonstrances upon the idle debauchery of his life and had thwarted him in at least one disgraceful intrigue he was tired of hearing on every side that so long as his minister was in power he was but half a king finally and this was with charles throughout his life the most potent argument it was easier in the presence of popular clamour to abandon than to support him just as in later years when consenting to the judicial murder of archbishop plunkett charles was not ashamed to exclaim i cannot save him because i dare not so now he was heard to say my own condition is such that i cannot dispute with them on august thirtieth sixteen sixty seven after a vain endeavour to induce clarendon to resign he sent him ill as he was at the time and mourning the death of his wife orders to deliver up the great seal he was rewarded by receiving the assurance of may lady castlemaine's secretary that he was now king which he had never been before personal dislike unscrupulous attack the virtues far more than the weaknesses of his private character the disasters of the nation the odium for which fell as always upon the most prominent figure in the kingdom and the ingratitude of charles had all much to do with clarendon's disgrace 
but the main cause is to be sought in the inherent weakness of his political theory he did not instinctively feel and therefore could not guide as pym had guided and shaftesbury was to some extent to guide the desires of his generation he was purely a constitutional lawyer with views of the constitution which he thought beyond argument or improvement his sole guide was the law as he understood it he had opposed laud and the star chamber because they were above the law and he had opposed parliaments when they acted against the law he endeavoured to secure a clause in an act of parliament to grant the king a dispensing power but he objected to the king's use of that power without parliamentary sanction as an illegal extension of the prerogative just as he objected to the claim for appropriation of supplies and the inspection of accounts as an illegal extension of parliamentary privilege these essentially negative views had not stood in the way had rather been advantageous at the restoration itself they had indeed then taken a positive aspect for clarendon's business was to restore the old parliamentary monarchy in strict connection with the old anglican church to come back to the broad lines of a constitution which he loved for such a task his firmness integrity knowledge of constitutional law and love of business fitted him beyond any man of his time but that task once finished the weakness of a position based upon negations showed itself he had neither the keenness to discern a coming change nor the elasticity of mind to adapt himself to it when it came had he been able to place himself at the head of the current popular opinion he might have died prime minister of england for his usefulness was incontestable as it was he stood in its way and was swept aside to make room for more supple men it is possible that charles had hoped that by his action he might save his old servant from further attack but he had misunderstood the temper of parliament everything that had gone wrong during clarendon's administration was laid to his initiative the sale of dunkirk the entering upon the dutch war the disaster at chatham the waste of public money when the commons met on october tenth sixteen sixty seven they at once voted an impeachment it was as extravagant as might have been expected of all the articles one only that in which he was accused of promoting a standing army the dissolution of parliament and the supporting troops upon forced contributions had even plausibility conscious of the weakness of their case they applied but in vain to the lords to commit clarendon on a general charge of treason clarendon hesitated long what course to pursue hearing however that charles had wondered why he did not withdraw himself he determined to take the hint which indeed soon became a positive command and on november twenty ninth he fled to france leaving parliament to the barren vengeance of passing an act banishing him forever to which charles was forced to consent End of section seventeen